0: Welcome to the 401k Audit CPA Success Show, where we're 100% focused on helping companies across the United States prepare for their 401k audit. If you have 100 eligible participants in your 401k plan, then this podcast is for you. Hello, everyone. Uh, This is Kim Moore with Anders CPAs, and uh, we are doing another podcast for the 401k Audit CPA Success Show. So uh, welcome to all of you. And I have Karen Hill, um, Audit Manager here at Anders, um, along with me again. And this month's podcast topic, we're going to talk about the Form 5500. As we know that... um, upcoming if you have not received your form 5500 yet for your plan and you are the plan sponsor of a 401k plan um, you should be receiving a form 5500 draft soon Um, we're going to talk a little bit about what what is the 5500 what's the purpose of it um, why is it important and as the plan sponsor uh, whether you need an audit or not you, know, you should be reviewing that before you file it. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that. Let me throw out um, my email address at the beginning of the podcast. I'll try and remember to do it at the end as well. It's the letter K, then M-O-O-R-E, at Anders, A-N-D-E-R-S-C-P-A.com. Again, it's K-M-O-O-R-E, at Anders, with an dot com. If you have any questions about today's podcast or any ideas for future podcasts or just questions in general about your 401k plan. If you need an audit, don't hesitate to reach out, be happy to help. And uh, we always like to throw that out there in case anybody has any questions over what we go over today. So uh, with that, Karen, um, uh, what is what is Form 5500? And why do, why do we care? What is it? What do we need it for?
1: Well, it's technically a tax form. Um, and the purpose of it is to provide information to the DOL IRS and to participants. And if you put incorrect information on the form, you can have, th- that can result in fines. However, I mean, I wouldn't, if you do something inadvertently incorrect, it's not like they're they're gonna be combing trying to find every little detail, but just know that if you do, if you know that you have to have an, have, um, an audit attached and you don't attach an audit, and then they tell you, oh, well, you forgot to attach the audit and you never do it, yes, you can end up with a fine for that. Um, it, like I said before, it's a tax form and there's no payments involved in it, but it's just to provide information about the plan. And depending on what, is, what type of plan you have and what kind of investments you have in your plan, you might have different schedules.
0: Mm-hmm. Yep. And it's um, very similar in appearance because it's, you know, tax forms all pretty much look alike. Mm-hmm. Um, you have your kind of informational, kind of general beginning part and then you have um, schedules at the back as you Mm -hmm. mentioned and we're going to talk a little bit more about all those schedules Um, it's it's not important and it is I mean it's not important in the sense that a lot of people never even know that there is such a thing Um, you know you (laughs) can be a participant 401k plan you have no idea that that there's a form out there Um, so and even plan sponsors I think a lot of times don't they just know they have to file it, so what are my steps to file it, and that's the end of it. And we're mm-hmm. going to talk a little bit more um, during this podcast why that's really not the case, and you should pay a little bit more attention to it. Um, one thing I like to point out, though, to, to everybody who's filing a 5500, whether there's going to be an audit attached or not, the Form 5500, once it gets filed um, and it goes through, there's a check process that, the uh, IRS uses um, to make sure that you know it, it, it goes through just like any other um, form that uh, you're going to file electronically. But also, they're checking to make sure there's no. Um, personal information included in any of the attachments. So it, it might go through a little bit of a check. Once it gets through all that and it's actually filed, it's public information. So, mm-hmm. you know, you can think of any, think of a big company that you know, and they probably have a 401k plan. You could go out and search and you can see not only the form, but anything attached. So the, um, Auditor's opinion letter um, and the financial is all that, is also viewable um, to the general public. And anybody that has an internet connection and knows that it's uh, out there, and they just do Form fifty five hundred search, um, they can go out and, um, if they know the name, they can find um, several years worth of forms out there, and they can look at them. So, um, again, it's a form, it's a tax form, and so you're going to fill out. It's not free form, you know, you're filling out um, a digital form. Um, so it's it's not like you can put swear words out. I mean, I guess you could, but you know, you, you'd have to put them in, in the in the format. But um, but just be mindful that whatever uh, gets put out there, including any attachments, is going to be viewable by the public. So we always try to caution people don't don't put things out there. If there's something that is going to happen in the future, but you're not quite sure, um, and it might be slightly confidential, don't don't attach that in an audit report because uh, it will be viewable by the public. So. You know, if, if that's something important to you from a competitive standpoint, just make sure you're not including that. Um, the other thing I'd say is that it is a it is required to be filed. There are very few exceptions, but for almost 100% of the time, you have to file it using um, the EBSA. Um, system that they have. It's a it's electronic system. So this isn't a case where you can go down to library and get your paper form and fill it out and mail it in. Um, that's not an option with these forms. They have to be done electronically. And in most cases, the service provider that you use is going to prepare it for you, and then you're going to file it using their system or some link that they have or um, portal or something. So I don't want to make it sound like oh I got to go buy some software and go figure like you might right. do for a personal return. It's not like that, but but you do have to do it electronically. So it, it does corral you a little bit into um, what information is needed or not um, for your situation. Mm-hmm. Um, just like for a individual return, there are different types. Um, so there is a form EZ, believe it or not, we never see those because those are no. um, for just like a one participant Except for maybe
1: prior year. <laughs>
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. oh, or, oh, oh you're usually, talking about uh, the one
1: participant one. Sorry, I
0: the the point. owner. Yeah, yeah, the the owner, one owner uh, and his uh, his or her wife or her spouse. Um, those uh, are we not rare. I shouldn't say they're rare, but we don't see them because mm-hmm. we don't um, usually. Those don't um, fall into needing an audit, but uh, but that is out there. Um, then for companies, there is a short form and a long form. Just that's not unusual in a tax uh, return situation. And the, the short form generally is for those with less than 100 participants. Um, the longer form, generally those with more than 100. Now, there are differences in that. And again, your provider will kind of steer you to the right form. Um, but just in case your form changes and you're like, wow, this doesn't look like last year and now it needs a lot more information, you know, somebody made a mistake, not necessarily. It, it could, that could be appropriate, especially if you know your company's been growing. More than likely, that's going to become appropriate so um there are due dates just like any other tax form um karen you want to go into a little bit about the due dates
1: the due date the well there's two different due dates you have your normal due date which like if you're filing your personal tax return it's going to be april 15th or the next following business day if that falls on a weekend and then you can extend to october 15th well with um with a Form 5500, the due date is seven months after the plan year end. So for a calendar year end, that would be July 31st, and then you can extend it for another two and a half months. And again, for a calendar year end plan, 1231 year end plan, that's going to be October 15th. Um, and for the extension, if you, ha- lots of times your provider will do that for you. I would check with them if you want to file an extension and see if they go ahead and file that for you, and if some of the larger ones go ahead and automatically file the extension, um, just so, it doesn't mean that you, if you file the extension, doesn't mean that you can't file it before that, that July 31st deadline, the first deadline, but lots of times they'll go ahead and file it for you. If you want to have the extension filed, I would check with your provider to, make, to see if they do that or if you need to do that yourself. Um, that extension is a form, 5558 and that also must be filed in the same there's no paper forms for that so it's, it's filed electronically as well
0: right right and and on that same um, system although those won't become public you won't be able to see them and mm-hmm. we always recommend that even if you think your provider or maybe they've told you that they're going to do um, the extension it's a good idea just to double check because once mm-hmm. you pass that date if you didn't file the extension you can't there's no relief. You can't go back and say, whoops, I missed it. Um, now I'm, I'm a couple days later Now I'm going to file. No, nope. once you've passed that date, if there's no extension, um, you're automatically late um, in filing your return and, and subject to fines. Mm-hmm. Um, so just be a little bit careful um, about that.
1: Sometimes um, they have the copies, your, your provider. Some providers will have the copies if they filed it. It'll be out on the website so that you can actually view it. And see that they right filed or
0: they or they could sometimes they'll send you a copy to yeah. after they filed it just for your records um, good idea probably to keep a copy of that or make mm-hmm. sure that they have a copy just in case um, you know something happens and you think it's filed and it's not filed I mean we, we see that all the time where someone thinks they filed a return and something happens along the way and it actually doesn't go through so good idea just just to keep that just in case um, the other thing, and we're going to talk a little bit about all the schedules, but it's it's very important that you review the form before you file it. Um, and you you're better off getting that extension. Even you know if you're right down to the wire, um, and it's it's end of July, it's a calendar year, and so it's end of July, and you're real close to the deadline, but you don't really have time to review it. You're better off using the extension and taking a couple of days, and then reviewing and then filing. Um, then rush and file it and I didn't look at it. And then I look at it later and it's like, oh, whoops, I am, you know, all this stuff is wrong. Now you can, you know, refile, you can correct it and then refile. Um, And there's the, you know, there's, as Karen said, there's not money attached with this. So it's not as if with like a personal return, you've got to go ahead and pay what's due and and get your extension and then you can do it later. There's no money here. So there's, you know, you don't need to worry about that. but there can be um, additional costs with your service provider if you have to refile. So if you're going to file, then you find out there's an error, and now we need to do a correction, and we need to refile, um, you know, that's going to probably cost you some money. So um, we, we encourage you to, to really take the time, look through it. Um, there are implications for things being wrong on these forms, and we're going to talk a little bit about what's on each schedule, um, and and you'll you'll see kind of things that can cause you problems. And we'll kind of talk about that as we go through. But it's better that you review ahead of time and then file when you're pretty confident in the form and you you know you've looked at it and you feel that the information is correct. The person filing the form should be a plan fiduciary. So it should be either the plan trustee or the plan administrator. Or if, if your provider is going to file, they will have you sign usually a paper form authorizing them or, or, you're gonna authorize them in some way to actually file it on your behalf. But it really, if the person doing the filing um, should either be a trustee or an admin or someone who is one of those people that's authorized this third party to file it. There are implications to that individual um, for filing an incorrect form. That individual in in a worst case scenario Um, there could be personal implications to them for filing an incorrect form. you got to remember this is you're filing a federal government form. So there's implications to you if you're filing it and it's wrong or it's, you know, you're trying to do something that you're not supposed to be doing, just like with any other federal um, information. So, you know, be careful with that. Don't if someone asks you, hey, up against a deadline. I know you know nothing about this, but can you just get online here and I'll give you my ID, ID and password. Can you do that? Don't do not do it because it could drag you into, if there's anything going on, something wrong, it could drag you into that. You could in, get implicated in it. And if you are the plan administrator and plan trustee and you're it's time to file and you don't know anything about it, again, I would get get a little bit more time if you can so that you can... Ask your record keeper to run you through the form, you know, explain it to you um, before you sign, because there are implications. Um, I mean, I'm not saying you're going to go to jail over it, but, you know, there are fines and penalties that can accrue. Um, So, you know, make sure that you um, that you know what you're doing when you when you file that. Um, I'm going to dive into the schedules, and we're going to kind of jump jump back and forth here a little bit. But um, okay. you'll notice on the very beginning of the form is some of the general information. So it's going to list the company name, the plan name, address, phone number. Um, that's going to show who was the person that filed the form. Um, so your name will actually appear on there. Um, so it's you're not going to be able to hide it. It's, it's going to show up. Um it's also going to show the participant counts. Um, and it's broken out in a little bit of detail. That information, that you look at it and you're kind of like, well, that's just demographic. They just want to know how big is this plan, how many people are in it. But actually, those numbers will drive whether you need an audit or not. So it's important that you make sure that those numbers are correct, especially if you're getting the counts up close to the 100 mark, um, that, that 100 number. Is kind of the tipping point for whether you're going to need an audit or not. Audits are expensive, they're very time consuming. You don't want to do one if you don't need to. So, if you're getting up to the 90, 91, 92, you need to start paying um, a lot of attention to those numbers because one participant can make the difference between whether you need an audit or not. Um, it It's also going, there's also some little boxes at the top um, that you want to make sure are correct. So, if it's a short plan year, it doesn't Your plan year doesn't go in a calendar you're setting from January 1 to 1231. Maybe you just started your plan and it started July 1st. You want to make sure that you've got that box marked appropriately. If it's a final return, you want to make sure that you get that box marked appropriately. Otherwise, the IRS will come after you next year looking for another $5,500. They'll want to fine you for not filing it when in reality there maybe no more were due because that was the final return and you just didn't get a box marked. Um, There's also a spot on the second page where you would mark if the plan name changed, the sponsor changed, the dress changed, the EIN, the tax number associated with the plan changed. Any of those things that change from year to year, you want to make sure that you're careful and you get that marked appropriately. Otherwise, again, it was ABC plan. You changed um, maybe the EIN from 1234 to 5678. If you don't get those marked appropriately, the IRS and or the DOL could come after you the next year and say, hey, where's the return for ABC plan or that one, two, three, four plan? Well, you know that it changed to the second one. They don't know that. So they're, they're looking at the return you filed as a brand new plan. So that's all good. But where's the return for that, you know, your prior year plan? Uh, and it can cause you a lot of administrative back and forth trying to tell them. You know, hey, here's what happened. It's, it's all fine. We just didn't put that on there. Um, no, no need to go through that if you just make sure that that's on the form. Um, you know, that should take care of it. So, um, I think that's all on the general part of the first form. Um, Karen, you want to kind of take over Schedule A? So that's our first. These are all going to be lettered schedules. <laughs> okay. um, so that's our first schedule.
1: Okay. Schedule A is insurance information, and you may or may not have this this schedule. Um, this usually, it, it's more likely if your service provider is with a life insurance company, like principal life insurance, um, this one that comes to mind, um, because it, it it shows the contract information. If you have an annuity contract and you're more likely to have those with have insurance companies. Um, and guaranteeing contracts also, um, so it's it's going to – you're going to see these more, like, if they have pulled separate accounts, you might have those with the insurance company. Um, so it's going to have uh, the, the detail, the information on those. Mm-hmm. Uh, on,
0: and I I would say, you know, again, your service provider should know if you need these schedules or not, the ones that are you may or may not need. Um, and so if it's not there, I'd just kind of – just stop and think, mm-hmm. is your provider – insurance company if it's not probably you don't need it and that's probably why it's not there Um, if if you have any questions I'd go back to your service provider but um, they'll usually know what what needs to be um, include you know if does the schedule need to be included and if it does the information that's needed on the schedule but um, definitely if it's included you want to double check and make sure that what's on there makes sense Um, I don't know from from my perspective these are usually not where they make mistakes this Mm -hmm. one's usually pretty good but um, you know, I suppose they make mistakes on anything. I suppose they're they're human beings too. So, um, the next one, Schedule C, mm-hmm. and it's um, lists the service provider um, kind of information. So it's it's going to talk here about the service providers that you use, and stop and think. Your service providers could be a record keeper. It could be a custodian. It could be an investment advisor. It could be a fiduciary that you're using um, to assist you with the plan. So, anybody that you're using to help you administer the plan or provide service to the plan, it um, could also be an actuary if you have like a DB plan, defined benefit plan. Um, it could also be an accountant. Could be shown on there if if you have to have an audit. Um, So it kind of depends. There are different schedule or different components to the schedule. And so again, it depends whether you need the schedule. And if you need the schedule, which sections might need to be completed, just depending on what happened um, with your plan, the kinds of activity and the kinds of service providers that you use. The one thing I'd say about this schedule, well, two things. This is a schedule that your service provider that's preparing this form for you usually um, they won't have on hand the information needed for this because it's going to talk about the compensation that was provided to that um, provider and whether it was like direct compensation, indirect, um, there's different variations on the form. And so they more than likely won't have the information. And there's a section on there where it'll say we were unable to obtain the information. The provider failed to provide the information. You don't want that if you can avoid it. Um, so if you see that on the form, I would go back to your service provider and say, why did you fill it out this way? What did you, you know, what attempts did you make to try to get the information? Um, you know, you don't, you don't really want that failed to provide. I mean, if, if it's the truth, you, you really tried and you couldn't get it, then by all means, put that on there. Um, but you, you know, you don't want to put that just because I just didn't bother to ask um, that that could cause questions. So I, I would just double check that if that shows up, we don't see that a lot, but it, it is on there and it, it could show up. Um, One of the last sections on that form, which may not show up for you, and and in most cases it's probably going to be blank, but there's a section for termination of accountants or actuaries. So if you used Accountant A or Actuary A last year, for whatever reason, you decided to go with a different firm this year, um, you would need to show that, that that we terminated the use of, and it'll list like the name, address other information about the prior provider, and then you have to give a reason as to why you're not using them any longer. Um, Even in the case of the provider might come to you and say, hey, I'm retiring, not going to do this anymore. Um, You know, they might work with you to get somebody else to take that over. So it's not like it's contentious or I fired them because they did a bad job or anything. It's just that they're not in the business anymore. You still would need to put that on the the schedule. Um, You know, if you think that you got rid of them because they were too expensive, or they didn't do a good job, or you know they couldn't um, accommodate the schedule that you wanted. What whatever it might be, it doesn't really matter. You still need to put that information on. there.
1: Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's still important. Uh, all of uh, when we had the merger with uh, Anders, our EIN mm-hmm. number changed, and that was considered a termination. So all of our clients put in that they terminated and just put an explanation that there was a merger and that's what happened. Mm-hmm. <laughs>
0: And we have actually gave them the little verbiage to stick on there and say, you know, you can modify this as you need. But here's here's an example you can use. Um, So, yeah, I don't I mean, I don't think really that action on the form probably drives anything. Um, I just think it's information to the especially the DOL. um, They keep track as they do their reviews of the audit um, financial statements, opinion letters. About every 10 years, they do a review of that. And as they do that, they keep track of the number of firms that are doing benefit plan audits. They are decreasing. There are fewer firms um, offering that as a service. So I think that's another way for them to track, you know, why are people dropping out? Um, It is a very specialized business. We've talked about this on, on other podcasts. The audits of benefit plans is a very specialized area. Most general auditors are not well equipped um, to do them the way that they need to be done, and they don't have the background experience to know how to do it. They don't know how to handle s- special situations. So the DOL w- does not like them doing um, that work. And so I think, I don't want to say they're happy when they see firms drop out, but they um, are encouraging firms that don't have that specialization to not, you know, don't work in this area. There's plenty of other areas that you can work. So so I think that's another thing that they they use it for. But um, The next schedule. Believe it or not, Schedule D comes right after C. <laughs> uh, what, what is Schedule D all about?
1: That is um, participating plan information for direct filing entities. And direct filing entities are, um, they're not u- mutual funds. They usually consist of your pulled separate accounts and your common collect trust. Basically what that means is when you have a pulled separate account or a common collective trust, you have a part of, of um, an investment, and that investment, it, it, they file their own report, so they are also filing um, maybe a form 5500, or they're filing some sort of report that it, that's going to be so that they know, so the DOL knows that you have an interest in this entity, and it, usually it's just it's just a listing of all the different pooled accounts or the common collective trust and the balance that you have in that account. And they have a little, uh, I think there's a P that means pulled. I can't remember off the top of my head what the common call, I'm assuming it's mm-hmm. probably CCT. It's better. a C. A yeah. C, yeah. I think it's C. Is I can't, name yeah, name. off the top of my head, I can't remember what that is. And it just, it's you know, just ties, like it's, it's just that shows what the investments that the plan holds that, and that these investments have their own reports that they file. That's basically all yeah. it is.
0: It's probably not something, again, that you're off the top of your head going to know much about. Um, But it is a clue. We use it um, in our audits to know, uh, help us um, determine what kinds of investments are we dealing with um, for that particular client. And it's just another kind of piece of information. And, um, you know, we might need to. Um, request a copy of the, the audits for those particular statements in certain cases. So kind of gives us some information. Um, and it helps, I think, the DOL and the IRS kind of hook things together. So you've got a filing on one end. Mm-hmm. This plan is is reporting using that so they can hook it together if they would ever need yep. to do that. So it's just kind of a referencing kind of schedule. Um, schedule G is... Um, we don't see this very often. Uh, this is another schedule. I don't know that I've ever seen one of those. I don't our think I have. This, I don't think I've ever <laughs> seen <schedule>. it. <laughs> uh-uh. It's a, um, you know, you'd only put it in just like any other text and you'd only put it in if you have transactions of this type and you've got numbers, you know, that you need to report. Um, the thing is, I pulled off the instructions. So it's um, loans are fixed income obligations in default or deemed uncollectible. So that would be some type of. Uh, loan that you have out the plan has out to some other entity and um you know you're you're showing that um in the next schedule that we're going to show or, or you might have um on your financial statement schedule which is going to be coming up here on schedule h but now you've deemed it that it's uncollectible uh it for whatever reason you're not going to be able to finish collecting on whatever's outstanding we don't see that a lot um and in fact, we don't even see those types of investments that much. So, right. you know, maybe in a big, huge plan, you might have something like that. Um, same thing for um, the second reason would be leases um, that are in default or, again, deemed uncollectible. Same thing if the plan had um, leases that they owned as an investment and they determined that they were not going to get repaid. Same thing, you would want to report that. Um, prohibited transactions would show up on here again that's kind of a not good thing to have (laughs) so you really are hoping you don't have to um, file anything on here Um, if you if you think this might apply to you and you're not sure, we're not going to go into what is that in this podcast because that could be a very lengthy um, and it gets kind of complicated discussion. But if you think I'm, I think I might have that and I'm not seeing it in my 5500, I'd go back to your service provider because the service provider might not know that you had one of these prohibited transactions. And so if you think you did. I would talk to them and see if that really qualifies and if that needs um, reported. So again, I this one this is one I would definitely go back to your service provider um, and ask them for for help if you have one or you don't have one and you think you should. In either case, talk that through with them before you um, finalize the filing uh, with us that schedule. So. Karen, the next one, Schedule H. This is an important schedule.
1: This is the one I know the best because this is the one that <laughs> then the, everything relates to the audit. And we need to, we always examine all these different numbers that's on Schedule H and compare it to what we find in our audited financial statements. And if we have to reconcile, that might be back. Um, we, we do a reconciliation to it. So, first, there's there's a few different parts to it. Part one is simply a, it's a schedule of assets and liabilities, and they're gonna break them out into the different types of investments. So if you have some common collective trust, some pulled separate accounts and mutual funds, um, if you have a benefit-responsive contract, if you have cash, um, and there's lots of different types of investments that could p- potentially be on the schedule, but they're gonna list them out, and it has a beginning of the year, and end of the year. So it should, the beginning of the year should equal what was your end of the year on your prior filing. They should. I have seen instances where it doesn't, and that always, I'm not sure why that happens sometimes. It's rare, but I have seen it happen. Um, The liabilities are the amounts that are due to be paid from the plan. The most common liabilities that we see are when you have failed your compliance testing and you need to refund those excess contributions in order to bring the pay- plan back into compliance um, when you have – when your uh, highly compensated employees have withhold more than what the compliance testing – than the non-highly compensated. There's a formula that they they use to determine that that we're not going to get into. But basically, that's – that's the usual type of liabilities that we see. Um, in the past, sometimes you would have liabilities for uh, pay- benefit payments, but that doesn't happen so much anymore because everything's electronic and everything seems to happen. Everything happens within a day or two, so we don't see see those types of liabilities anymore. Um, part two is the income and expenses, so it's more like your income. Is your income statement. It has the contributions that are split up by type. Rollovers are always cons- are considered other, so they're not included in the participant contributions. They're separated out. And then you have your investment income, and it's divided up into div- dividends. It has dividends and interest. Those are actually separated. We put them together usually on our audit report, but on here they'll have them separated gains and losses, interest from participant loans, that type of thing. And they get pretty detailed about if you have gains or losses from the mutual funds or if you have gains and losses from a different type of, of investment. But in general, that's what right. that section is. And then they'll have the expenses which consist of your benefit payments, any deemed loans you might have, and any administrative expenses that you have. And then it all comes down to the net income or loss and theoretically and usually and hopefully your net um, income or your net loss will agree to the difference between your beginning of the year balance and your end of the year balance that's what it, the way it's supposed better. to It's <laughs> the way it's supposed to to be sometimes yeah, <laughs> yeah. Whatever, sometimes
0: it doesn't, it doesn't. we always wonder how does a system how, not balance? <laughs>
1: yeah, because I always thought that it was something that if it, you put it in and then the number, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure how that happens. I would think that there would be a warning to yeah. say, hey, this is out of balance. But sometimes we see that it doesn't balance. Um, then the part three is the accountant's opinion. So you sp- you need to put down the type of opinion. And now it, well, it should be unmodified. That is a change from the past. We used to have a disclaimer but they with the the new and I'm gonna mess up my numbers. The 103C, um,
0: 103A, 3C, 3A, C.
1: 103 <laughs> a 3 c 3 knew I'd mix. I knew i messed mess it up. <laughs> I know it's confusing. <laughs> <laughs> too, too many. Um, with when they changed the audits from limited scope and full scope to the 10A3C audit or non 10A3C audit, they said no more disclaimer. It's unmodified. Mm-hmm. So then the first part you pick, you pick unmodified, hopefully. I mean, you could have a disclaimer for another reason, but hopefully it's an unmodified opinion. And then underneath that, you have to s- state whether it's a 103C or a non-103C. Or I can't remember exactly, off, again, off the top of my, without it sitting in front of me. Um, mm-hmm. Then they want to know the name of the accounting, uh, accountant or accounting firm and their EIN number. And I mm-hmm. think that's it for part three, and then when you yeah. To, yeah when you get to part four, those are the compliance test uh, compliance questions and the very first one is if you had any and these are the ones I know off the top of my head the first very first one is did you have any um late like contributions and so you Mm-hmm. Mark that yes or no um there's one about bond coverage I can't remember exactly maybe i said that, that's on i h i don't remember um if they're at, yes, something like that uh, yeah asset schedule attached um S, S, I'm, I'm sorry asset schedule which is the schedule of assets that's going to be at the end of your of your uh report and you're supposed to have that attached as well um if the questions about if the plans termi- terminating and um Generally, most of the other questions are always no. Sometimes they might be yes, but you just kept, they go through the questions and just answer them yes mm-hmm. or no as applicable. But those are pretty much the, the big three, the late contributions, your bond coverage, and um, if you have schedule of assets attached.
0: Right. And those questions um, relate, as does the accountant opinion questions, if you're a large filer. And you need an audit so if you're mm-hmm. a small filer and uh, you have these uh, short form it's an abbreviated you still have financial information on there but it's an abbreviated um, version so you might not have as much detail mm-hmm. um, as what karen went through and you won't obviously won't have an auditor opinion because there's no audit for a small plan if it's under the hundred people yeah, um, and we've we've talked before in other podcasts about what what determines when you need an audit? So if you have questions about that, we're not going to go into that today, but look at um, some prior podcasts out there and um, that we have, and um, yeah. that'll, that'll cover that.
1: Yeah, I don't um, think they break the same out the investment would... information on the short form. Oh, I don't think so.
0: No, no. And it's um, even some of the income stuff and in the um, yeah. expenses is abbreviated, too. Um, the the, the the big thing here on the Schedule H, if you're reviewing, um, again, you may not in depth know the numbers, but you should have statements that show you total assets. And so if you have a $10 million plan, you shouldn't be looking at a Form 5500 that says you have a million dollars. Obviously, that's <laughs> that's wrong. Um, so, I, you know, it, we're not expecting you to get in an audit and, you know, double check every little number and that's off by a, a couple dollars. But, you know, you just do a reasonableness check and make sure um, I, I would do a math check just to make sure that it does it does all you know, tie out the way Karen described. Um, But just kind of look through and make sure it's reasonable. If you need an audit, it should have this scheduled H with the accountant opinion. If it doesn't, that's going to be a problem for you. So make sure that that's filled out. That's correct. Um, It shouldn't, I don't think it'll let you file it with it being blank. But if it would, that's bad. You don't want that. And then those compliance questions that Karen talked about, those are really important. That can cause you problems especially with the DOL so Mm -hmm. um, you know this is an electronic form it's going to go into a database so if you're saying you know I got 10 million dollars in my 401k plan and I have no fidelity bond which is a federal requirement that you have a fidelity bond don't let anybody tell you you really don't need one you do it's a federal requirement they can fine you if you don't have one and if you don't have one in the uh, the right amount or it's not the right type of bond Um, so make sure that that if you have a bond that you've marked it yes and, and there's an amount there, then that, that's the correct amount. Uh, again, if you're not sure, we've done other podcasts about controls and um, area compliance areas um, to consider, so I'd go check that out or ask your service provider. Um, the other thing is if you... Um, did some changes to your plan and you might have had a blackout period. That's another question um, that, that gets asked. So you want to make sure you answer, answer that correctly. And then the late contribution one, well, that's a big deal because if you have late contributions, the DOL is going to look for that. They're going to want to make sure that you corrected that problem. Um, and you may probably will get a notice. Not, not necessarily a notice that means you're in trouble. You know, they're going to come audit your plan or anything, but they will tell you that the, one of the best ways to fix that is through the the voluntary correction program that they have, and they'll give you details about that. So, um, those are going to bring attention to your plan. So, I mean, mark it appropriate if you had those things, disclose that you did, um, but just make sure that you're not marking it incorrectly. And now you've got to deal again with the IRS DOL over something that was just I marked the form wrong. So, you know, just be careful with that. Um, a few other questions or a few other schedule here. There's a schedule I that is similar to schedule H, but it's for smaller plans, kind of those ones in the middle. So, um, you know, not I'm not going to run through that. Um, it's similar to what we already talked about. There's a schedule MB for multi-employer plans. Uh, I'm not going to go into a lot of detail here because um, that's a little outside the purview of what we're talking about on this podcast. But if you do have questions about that. Um, you know, give us a call, or um, you can, of course, ask your service provider about that. Schedule R has to do um, with retirement plans. Specific information. We don't see this one very often. It's um, used for ESOPs, some place um, stock option plans, multi-employer plans, which we don't we don't deal with a lot. Um, the two of us, um, the firm does do some multi-employer plans and does some ESOPs, so it, they're out there, but um, they're not the most prevalent. So again. You know, If you have those, I would talk to your service provider um, about those. Um, instructions, I know we ran through this fairly quickly. So um, obviously, we could have spent two or three hours talking about each item. If you have questions, the, if you go out to the IRS website, just do IRS.gov and search 50, uh, Form 5500. The instructions for each form are out there, just like every other tax return. Copies of the form are out there, so if you want to look at it ahead of time, um, you know, blank copies are out there, so you can take a look at that. Um, again, I can't stress enough, if you have questions, Go back to your service provider. If you need an audit, you can ask your auditor about the form 5500, too. And the, your auditor is going to review the 5500 as a part of the audit. They are required to do that. So you will need to provide them a copy. They're going to review it, so they're a good, another good source, um, if you have an auditor, to um, ask them questions. But otherwise, I'd go to the service provider. And lastly, two things. Mm-hmm. Review the form before you file it. <laughs> oh, I, can't, I know I've said that a lot, but... It's really important. Um, You're going to save yourself some time. Even a small administrative error can end up causing you hours of work trying to get that fixed um, through the IRS or the DOL. And you don't want that just because you just didn't take time to look at it. So um, just make sure that that you take a look at it. You know, Your service providers can get busy. They're human beings. They can make stupid mistakes, just like we all do. So take a little bit of time and, and look at it. If you have any questions, go back to them before you file it. And lastly, make sure you file on time. If you file late, two thing, you can do two things. You can go through the delinquent filer program. We have a podcast about delinquent filer program, too, and, and we have blog um, articles out there about delinquent filer program as well. So if you have questions about that, not going to detail it here. But you can use that, but you will have to pay a penalty. Um, that's automatic. You can't get around it. If you choose not to do that and you just file late, then you are subject to the department of later and the IRS, they can both fine you. And we've seen fines from one of those agencies, um, approaching $50,000 and up just because you filed late. Now that's not, it was due on July 31st or July 30th. And I filed on, you know, August 2nd. I'm not talking about that, but where it's months late. Um, and they see that they, they can, um, cause you to um, get a letter with a fine, um, and they can be pretty, pretty pricey fines.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So um, you know, do not file late unless you absolutely can't help it. It, it can be um, worse than the time-consuming thing to fix administrative errors. It can be very costly, so, so don't do that. Make sure you leave time in your schedule to, um, to review the forms, make sure they're correct, and get them filed on time. Um, With that, I think we're going to wrap up for today. Again, my email is letter K-M-O-O-R-E at Anders, A-N-D-E-R-S-C-P-A.com. So it's Anders with an S, C-P-A.com. Feel free to reach out to me if you have any questions on today's podcast, um, ideas for a future podcast, or just questions in general, or maybe you just found out you need an audit. It's that time of year where um, folks are finding out that you know, I always say you won the lottery and now you need a 401k plan <laughs> audit. Uh, or you lost the lottery and uh, you need an audit. Um, so we'd be happy to uh, get you a quote um, for that audit, talk you through the procedures, and um, kind of work with you to get that started if need be. Um, with that, thanks, Karen. Any final closing thoughts you got on Form 5500? Okay, oh. if not, we'll we'll wrap up for today. I want to thank everybody for your for your time today and uh, as always um, don't hesitate to reach out if you have any questions thank you enjoy this podcast visit our website at anderscpa.com 401k to get more tips and strategies for achieving 401k audit success we're here to be a resource with ever-changing rules and regulations